0: Buonasera. Buonasera a tutti, eh, siamo finalmente, almeno per chi ha lavorato a questo festival, arrivati eh, alla fine eh, di queste quattro giornate che sono state eh, spesso una sorpresa, eh, sapete che i numeri, e naturalmente visto che eh, entravano nel titolo è importante anche parlare di questi numeri, eh, siamo ormai a più di 55 credo, eh, presenze in quattro giorni E eh, insomma, di più eh, non si poteva sperare, eh, quindi siamo felici di questo. E questa sera, eh, siete qui, eh, lo sapete benissimo: eh, dobbiamo parlare, anzi, vogliamo parlare con eh, questo matematico straordinario. Eh, questa persona che molti di voi conoscono eh, per motivi diversi eh, dalla matematica, ovviamente per la sua tragedia anche personale, eh, la sua vita eh, di, di grandi sofferenze e però eh, con un finale invece eh, diciamo felice cioè una riabilitazione per l'appunto mentale. Naturalmente il pubblico sarà molto diversificato, ci saranno quelli che vogliono appunto, anzitutto ci saranno quelli che credono di vedere Russell Crowe, questo temo che sarà una delusione, non è lui, no? Poi eh, e poi. Eh, Ci saranno naturalmente matematici che eh, vorranno sentire anche eh, in parte le cose che eh, John Nash ha fatto, per cui poi è diventato famoso e per cui ha preso il premio Nobel, quindi parleremo di questo con lui. Eh, io proverò naturalmente a fargli qualche domanda anche sulle altre parti della sua vita, non è detto che abbia voglia di parlarne, eh, se, se vedo che non, eh, che non ne ha voglia naturalmente cercherò di non insistere. E, eh, insomma, quindi eh, Credo che eh, naturalmente, visto che lo stiamo aspettando tutti, eh, sia me a farla entrare quindi eh, il professor John Nash. dimenticato di dire eh, eh, che faremo l'intervista in inglese per semplicità eh, credo che molti di voi avranno le eh, cuffiette quindi potrete seguire eh, quello che eh, diremo professor Nash uh, first of all thank you very much for uh, being here for accepting uh, to give this interview uh, your first impression of the festival what do you think
1: well it it, it looks like it's successful because of the numbers uh-huh. only because of the numbers well, you have the idea uh, of the festival, and then you have the results, uh, and the numbers of people around indicate how the the idea is being achieved.
0: Uh-huh. You know that the numbers are more than fifty thousand people attending uh, in four days and there are 3,000 people in here and many more uh, outside so uh, just to listen to you so i think that we can start uh, from this morning since uh, you were here this morning on the same stage and you played
1: chess first of all how was your game with uh, boris pascu first well my game was uh, very much of an amateur's game uh, see i'm i'm really a, an expert on computer access to internet chess. I'm, I'm not an expert on playing the, the internet chess, but on arranging the access, finding places where you can do it. Do
0: you do it for yourself or for your friends or family?
1: Well, it's set up in the house so, so that uh, we can play various games. And, and Johnny has played uh, chess and checkers.
0: He also played this morning, incidentally, for uh, for a short time. Very short, yes. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You told me, for example, that uh, there was a move that you didn't like, uh, that uh, sort of, uh, so to speak, you regretted this morning.
1: Well, you regret a mistake when you make a mistake. There's one point where uh, Spassky pushed his bishop forward, and there was a a standard move that uh, one could, one could push a pawn forward to, to push the bishop back. And that seems so obvious that I, said, I thought that since Spassky did it, maybe that wouldn't be a good reply. But I think maybe it was what I should have done at that point. Uh-huh. But I don't know. Being a
0: mathematician, uh, on top of being also a chess player, uh, I would like you to comment, if possible, on a question that we raised this morning with Spassky, but I didn't like to answer too much. I maybe mean, you think that there is a, a relationship or a parallel uh, between the game of chess on one side and mathematics on the other side.
1: Well, there's certainly a parallel with computer science because it's possible to to develop a very powerful uh, program to play chess, and Go is is much more resistant to on that level. I think it's really a challenge that I should study in Japan. <laughs> uh-huh,
0: but I meant more. Uh, chess as a metaphor, for example, for mathematics, or, conversely, mathematics as a metaphor for chess, that is, similar activities, perhaps,
1: although different. Yes, well, uh, there's certainly a, a, a similarity in the proof of precision. Uh, precision, if you to have a really good play, it has to be uh, analogous to a proof that it's really solid and you can't find a flaw in any step. So a mate would be like a
0: theorem, right? Like proving a theorem in a sense.
1: Yeah, in a sense, but of course, uh, like a mate can prove that some possible uh, play on the opposing side is
0: not good. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And of course, There are also other games uh, uh, that you've been playing. One of them you actually invented. Uh, Can you tell us something about what is now called Hex, but I think you called it differently when you invented it,
1: right? Well, it was uh, co-invented, but as far as I knew initially, I had just thought of this as a game that illustrated some game theoretic concepts. Uh Precisely Precisely which ones? Well, it was a game in which the first player had an intrinsic advantage and yet you couldn't easily see how to use the advantage of first player. And this is presumably true of chess, but it's not a theorem. It's one of the things about chess and no matter how well the the grandmasters and the computers can play it, it has not been proved that White has an advantage. Where and when did you invent Hex? Oh, that was when I was early in my studies at uh, Princeton, graduate study. Uh Uh-huh. Early
0: 50s or late 40s?
1: It would have been before, probably around 49. Uh Uh-huh. 1949. And you didn't commercialize it,
0: right? But I think that students actually and your uh, fellow students uh, like to play it, right?
1: Well, uh... It was played to a certain extent around Fine Hall, which is the mathematics building. Uh-huh. In Princeton? Yes. And a board was was built, at which a good hexagonal board, a good bird with hexagonal spaces and a large diamond-shaped pattern. It lasted for many years. I, I don't think it's, it's not there anymore. It sort of has expired as far as I know.
0: So you never you never got any royalties. For it was the. played with with ghost stones. Uh huh. you you never got any royalties.
1: No, there was an attempt. There was another person, David Gale, who's sort uh-huh. of a ga- he's a yeah, game, game theorist, theorist, right? And he's older than I am, but he had the idea of promoting it, and uh, there was the attempt to sell it to Parker Brothers, but. I think Parker Brothers found that it was not an invention because, uh-huh. because someone in Denmark had previously invented it but he uh-huh. never called uh-huh. it Hex. Peter Parker, Mime, right? I think yes. It, yeah. And he was a writer on many topics. He had adopted the name of a famous Dutch admiral rather than anyone in Denmark. But uh, Parker Brothers, made a, a version of it, it was only 10 by 10 uh, in the the ray uh-huh. pattern. And your version was instead? Well, we had a board that was 14 by 14, uh-huh. which is much better for a challenging game. If it, if it gets very small, then the game becomes obvious. It's obvious what to do. And you proved some theorems about this game, I guess, right? Well, the theorem is that first player can win has a, the, strategy, right? has a winning strategy. Has a winning strategy.
0: But the strategy is not known.
1: No, it's an existence. Uh-huh.
0: a purely existence uh, theorem. Uh-huh. Yes, it's a theorem by con- proof of existence by contradiction. So this leads, al- leads us a little bit uh, into game theory, right? This is yeah. a theorem about uh, about games, incidentally. Yes, right? that's,
1: I, I really developed this sort of a, a game illustrating some game theory principles and also some topology, uh-huh. because the topology was necessary to, to see that, uh, to, to prove the theorems about it. And your proof was the same that Milner
0: gave? Uh, I th- I've seen one uh, proof, I think, by Milner in the mathematical Intelligencer a
1: few years ago. Well, that would be, that was uh, essentially an expository uh-huh, article, right? Right. may have improved on any previous proof, but uh-huh. would not have been entirely uh-huh. new. So why don't we talk a little bit about the real game
0: theory that you developed in those years. How did you come to be interested in, uh, in game theory, first of all? Because that was not a popular subject at the time, was
1: it? Well, it was sort of, you could say, more or less unknown, except uh, von Neumann and Morgenstern had published a book back in uh, 1944. 44, right called theory of games and economic behavior. That was an ambitious title and their ambition was justified because game theory did become subsequently very much entangled, involved in economics and economists came to depend on it. Because of this book also probably. Well, the book certainly introduced the theme that uh, that game theory should be important to economics, and it should be possible to, to develop economics from that point of view. That they, the game theory would explain behavior in economics. Also. But
0: were you already
1: interested in
0: economics at the, at the time, or only in the mathematical side of the theory?
1: I had some interest in economics. I think I'm, I've always had some interest. Uh, at, uh, when I was, before going to Princeton, which is I elected to study one economics course besides my mathematics or my chemistry courses. So you took one class? Yes, it was called International uh-huh. Economics. I think it was taught by an Austrian who, uh, And
0: those are the only studies you, you had in economics?
1: That's the only formal class formal, that, formal, that right. I had.
0: And how did you decide the subject of your thesis? Namely, uh, this was a big step forward with respect to von Neumann, right? I mean, going from zero-sum games to, uh, to any kind of game.
1: It, is, it has come to be viewed that way, but at the time, it wasn't so rapidly accepted. Uh-huh. But there were a few uh, people who were accepted, like Kenneth Arrow and Gerard Debreu, but we're this was right later, evidence. of course,
0: right? After you did it.
1: Well, they were influenced by my original publication, uh-huh. I think.
0: But is, is there any relationship between the proof, for example, of the existence of equilibrium in the games, and the existence of equilibria in uh, in economical situations?
1: Well, what they call this general is a theory of right general, general equilibrium. equilibrium. Right. Well. What happened is, there was a, a, a paper of Arrow and De jointly. In the early fifties, right? Uh, yes, and they both made use of the Kakadani fixed point theorem. Now, I had just used that, like the year before, in a publication on the, the equilibrium points, the, what are now called Nash equilibrium. And I had used the Kakadani th- theorem. I, it's David Gale who got involved in a hex game. He had suggested that to me. I had a uh, plan to use the bauer fixed point theorem, the more, more basic and classical. But So in my first publication, which was one page to the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. One page? Yes. Uh-huh. I used And this the is the
0: big theorem that actually got you the Nobel Prize, right?
1: That's what they quoted. Uh-huh. But uh, it doesn't work quite like that. They, they cite something, but it's a total it's picture. for a more general thing, right? That, uh, that determines what they uh-huh. really, I think what they would really prove of. I, some of the citations are like evases. Uh, but how did you get the idea of using a fixed
0: point theorem to prove uh, an equilibrium?
1: Well, this is, um, this is mathematics. You know, why do you use a fixed-point theorem? There are some things in partial differential equations where forms of fixed-point theorems can be used. Uh-huh, it's to get a, solutions
0: to the, to the yes,
1: equation. It, uh, it can be a, 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 a case of stability. can correspond uh-huh. to a fixed point. There are various generalizations. Now, of course, von Neumann also had used it, I think, in his work, right? Did you know about it, or...? Well, uh, I knew some. I didn't know everything about every use. He'd, he'd, this, the book von Neumann and, and Morister, uh they had ultimately arranged not to use the barrow fixed point theorem directly. They used something else, which is sort of equivalent. Uh-huh. So it was forget- disguised, in a sense. Yes, you could say it, but earlier von Neumann had used it and he had used it in another publication in the 30s. He had used the Brouwer theory. The
0: original publication, right. Where,
1: that's not the original. That uh-huh. was not his original game theory, which that uh-huh. was to 28.
0: Yeah, 28. That's what yeah. I thought you meant.
1: That year when, but later on in the 30s, uh-huh. he had a publication when he was already in Princeton where he had two, two firms, and he had uh, a type of equilibrium uh, interaction, and he used the fixed-point theorem. And this paper had the effect of stimulating Kakutani, uh, Shizuo Kakutani, to develop the a, a Kakutani fixed-point right, theorem, but right. to simplify that. Uh-huh. So he was actually stimulated by von Neumann, and in the end, that I used it and these other people. So we've been
0: talking people. about the great man for Neumann. Uh, you probably met him, right? And you even discussed, I guess, uh, some of your results with him.
1: Yes, well, I met him when I was in Princeton, like in a general way. After you did your work. Well, after I, had, I, I probably, I would have met him before probably socially. It's, in a, in a distant sense, you know, some students might, you might see someone around. Do you have any stories the, about him? Because, you know,
0: there are lots of anecdotes and nobody it, never knows, you know, whether they're true or not. There are
1: many you stories. <laughs> I and mean, you have but some I, of yours? I, I've heard, of, I don't have really a, a, a story of that anecdote uh-huh, uh-huh. at <laughs>
0: But uh, did you explain your result to him?
1: I went to him at one time after I was fairly well along with it and he said, Explain, of course, it's clearly an, another way of, of looking at uh, simple games. And uh, and he didn't say too much, but then he, the thing that he said was surprising. Uh, do you use a, a fixed point theorem? Do you possibly use a fixed point theorem to prove this? That's I what he said immediately? Uh, yes. Well, And that surprised me that it seemed like a, but of course, it wasn't so surprising when I thought later about his use of fixed-point theorems and the similar in, and his in the fact that the Kakatani theorem was stimulated by his use of fixed-point theorems. So and you I had see. used to so use the Cacatonia. So you,
0: you, you do have a for Neumann story, actually. You just said it. <laughs> yeah. I think you also have a nine story. But it's story. not like
1: the story of, ah. of how to calculate the distance traveled by the bee. Or uh-huh. What is the story? Well, I don't know that I believe it. There's it a story about uh, two uh, railroad trains are approaching each other at certain speeds. And a bee is flying between one and the other. It's something that has a higher speed. Uh-huh. Maybe it's not railroad trains, or, but but then they calculate the distance traveled by the bee. And then von Neumann is supposed to have done it mentally by by summing a, a power as a the series. whole series, yes, as opposed to using the trick. The drinkers could calculate the time involved in the, the speed of the uh-huh, B, uh-huh. multiplied by the speed of the B, and that gives the distance traveled by B.
0: So is it really true? I mean, people always said that he was so fast uh, and so prolific uh, and so omniscient even. I mean, he seemed to know everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you got this impression
1: too? Well, he, he was certainly very sharp, uh, but uh, Nobody knows everything.
0: Oh, nobody knows everything.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, well, there was somebody uh, uh, that at least knew a lot, right? Which was uh, Albert Einstein. You did have an encounter with him, right?
1: Well, Neumann might have known more than Einstein. We, uh-huh. we, uh, because uh, Einstein was perhaps more specialized uh-huh. than, than Neumann. But you did meet Einstein too, right? Yes, I met him. How did it happen? Well, I had been thinking about uh, cosmology, gravitation, uh, maybe unified fields and and radiation, electronic, electromagnetic radiation. So I thought that, uh, and also the expansion of the universe. So I thought of a possibility that a light photon traveling through space might be slowed down by an inverse effect of losing energy by generating gravitational waves. Now I've seen. So would this
0: be an explanation of the redshift for Yes, uh-huh.
1: I've seen another person later on. Physicists, you know, recognized physicists bring up the same idea. It's been discussed, but um, of course there there are various angles. There's evidence of the expansion. The universe is, uh, part of this the spectrum of the, of the background uh-huh. radiation that fits that very how, well. How did
0: you get interested, first of all, in these cosmological questions? I mean, game theory and cosmology seem to be pretty far well, away. Well, I've always
1: broadly been broadly interested in science. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, uh So, I guess that's the nature of it. Uh-huh.
0: But then you were saying you went to, to see Einstein about it, right?
1: Yes, well of course being in Princeton and you know that Einstein is there, stimulating. There. So, well he, I think he f- affected my work in pure mathematics also. Because you know that the space-time is uh, a manifold, that's analogous to a Riemannian manifold. And right, right. You have the form of Riemannian geometry, but the change that the metric tensor is non-positive. Right. But otherwise, it's formally the same. You have Ricci tensor and Ricci, uh, right. Riemann tensor, Ricci right. tensor, Levi-Curitas. So a lot
0: of Italians actually worked in this yes,
1: field. Yes, right uh, right? and, and then, uh, yes, Bianchi identities. Uh-huh. Bianchi, right, Bianchi, Bianchi identities. <laughs> uh,
0: there
1: are then two types happened? of Bianchi identities that I know. Uh-huh.
0: But then what happened when you went to Einstein? Was it, first of all, easy to get to to know him? I mean, you just called him up and...
1: No, no, it, it, uh, it was not so simple, but of course he did see people, but he... But would, you were a like, student at the time, right? Yes, well, I don't think he had so much contact with students, like, uh, like physics students. He had an assistant, and what happened was that uh, his student assistant was sort of someone who had been a student of math and logic. Oh, so Kemeny,
0: by the way. Yes, Kemeny. Yeah, John Kemeny.
1: Well, Kemeny was there at the time and I thought he was a little like a security guard. <laughs> like a bodyguard? They <laughs> thought that uh, you could be dangerous or just Well, a Einstein could be a target for, uh, for characters, uh-huh, you know, for political reasons, so well known. Uh-huh.
0: And what did he tell you? You, you explained your theory to him?
1: I explained the idea. I didn't really have a theory, but I said maybe, yeah, right. the idea. maybe this mechanism could be relevant. It might relate to even to unified field theory. Uh-huh. And, and he uh, accepted it. Well, he didn't exactly accept it. He, I mean, I, I, I talked a little. I didn't have too much time. He said, "Well, you would have to. You need to maybe really." Get into a lot of study if you want to think about these <laughs> things.
0: So he just sent you back to school, so to speak. right? Yes, yeah, right. It's and you studied and, and and did your big work in uh, in game theory in, in those years. Why don't we see? Possiamo vedere il primo filmato, per favore? There's a little piece uh, from the movie a Beautiful Mind that has Santa in the back. Uh, it's back in in here. Uh, and we should see
2: Adam Smith needs revision. What are you talking about? If we all go for the blonde. We block each other not a single one of us is going to get her. So then we go for her friends. But they will all give us the cold shoulder because nobody likes to be second choice. But what if no one goes for the blonde? We don't get in each other's way, and we don't insult the other girls. That's the only way we win.
0: Well, of course. uh... Of course this is a little far from reality right first of all the scene never happened i guess and what what do you think the the movie tried to explain and did it succeed in doing it
1: i don't i th- i think it's it's like other things it's uh, the work of this screenwriter who seems to be talented more or less, you know the same screenwriter is the screenwriter for the Da Vinci Code. For the, the Da Vinci director, Code, right. It's the same
0: team. Uh-huh. But what do you think of this particular scene? Uh, I mean, this is the only scene in the movie uh, that has something to do with real mathematics, right? And they got it wrong.
1: Well, it's... it's uh, game theory cannot really be honestly applied to something like that and get that result. But I. I think there's some more psychology in that. I sort of meditated on it. You know, if Alicia had been a blonde, the screenwriter would have written something different.
0: Uh uh Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. But do you think that they were successful in explaining the notion of the Nash equilibrium?
1: Well, I don't don't think there was a serious attempt. Attempt, uh uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> and they didn't <laughs> succeed, <anything. laughs>
0: And would you, would you like to try, of course not to say it in technical terms, but uh, since you invented it, how would you explain in two words or four words uh, the notion of the Nash Equilibrium?
1: Well... It would be, well, if the game can be sh- described in terms of strategies, they, particularly a finite number of options, like an option of play. Uh, well, one example, I actually worked out in the time of the thesis, uh, an application to a poker game. Uh-huh. Von Neumann had worked on poker games also, but he, which is sticking to two players. But I could do three players in terms of Nash equilibrium, equilibrium point. And three and, and any it, number
0: will be the same, right? Well, it's
1: very natural for poker because it's, the un- it's understood in a poker game that everyone is playing solo. There are no gangs, no coalitions, no secret arrangement, secret treaties. Well. If the poker players could be reduced, which they could in my example, it was very simplified to a finite number of, strat- of strategies, that they just play this strategy, and then that, that each each player's strategy interacts with the other player's strategy. But a pure strategy is in def- some interaction. And then they have to make mixed strategies, which is a, mic- a mix of probabilities applied to the pure strategy. Well, there's equilibrium if oh, each of the three players has a mixed strategy, and he cannot improve the mix, uh, given that the other players are assumed to have, uh, to have fixed what their fixed their strategies are being fixed. Yeah, unilateral. He can't unilaterally improve by a unilateral modification of his strategy. So then, if everyone is like that, the three strategies are in equilibrium.
0: There is an Italian writer, I don't know if you know him, Italo Calvino, uh, and he wrote a famous novel, uh, which is called If on a Winter Night a Traveler, and he has a phrase that some people have uh, taken as a depiction of uh, the Nash equilibrium. He says that sometimes in life, We cannot achieve the best, but sometimes we can all avoid the worst. You think that this is a description
1: of? uh... Well, it's it's certainly like that, uh, uh, typically, uh, that uh, you're uh, avoiding the worst. And uh, to achieve the best may require cooperation, Mm -hmm. but uh, my my thesis when I wrote it was entitled Non-cooperative Games. Uh It's implied that the, the, the players are acting independently.
0: So we've been talking about Nash equilibrium, and of course uh, many people even think, you know, that most of your work was done in game theory, whereas instead uh, very few of your papers in, in the 50s were devoted to that, right? Uh, why don't we uh, briefly go through some of the concepts that now uh, are used in mathematics that uh, have your name attached to them? like for example uh, what is this nash blow up
1: Oh, well, that was an uh, an idea that i thought of for algebraic geometry uh, relatively late it was in the, in the 60s and it was a, a natural process in alge- algebraic geometry that you would and it was intended to resolve singularities singularity uh-huh and it it does does seem to work in that regard. It, w- the thing is, where well, there's the idea of a canonical resolution of singularities. It turns out, though, there's another process that really should be done first, and uh-huh. then the Nashler uh-huh. can be done. <laughs> so this is an ingredient, so to speak, of the well, it, uh, it, of it could the rest be an ingredient. Uh, uh-huh. I, 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 as far as I know, the end of the story is not reached, but. Uh, Not yet. Uh Well, the singularities problem is considered solved uh, in most interesting varieties, in what they call characteristic zero, which is what isn't prime characteristic. You've been just saying uh, the word manifold. There's
0: also a Nash manifold. Is this related to this, or is it a different thing? Well,
1: the phrase Nash manifold has been used Uh But uh, it corresponds to what I called real algebraic manifold. Uh-huh. And I had a paper that was called Real Algebraic manifold. That was the paper that might have been my thesis at Princeton if the game theory was not accepted because, see, the game theory is like applied mathematics partly, whereas this would be pure mathematics. So you had two theses at the time, ready well, or I had or potential to uh-huh. th- In the end, I took took some time in writing that up. Uh And it wasn't published, wasn't finally published until after I left Princeton.
0: And today you quoted, for
1: example, at the radio the Nash inequality. What is this? Yes, well, uh, that's a a phrase that was introduced uh, maybe around the 70s or something. It was sometime after I had. I had done a paper in the uh, fifties, late fifties. This was the paper that interacted with the work of Ennio DiGiorgi. Aha, this is the one. There was an open problem about elliptic equations. uh, Differential equations, yeah? Yes, elliptic partial differential equations in dimensions higher than two. In two dimensions, the corresponding problem had been solved with some difficulty but it was, there wasn't uh, understanding beyond that. So I got, uh, I got wind of that problem, and I started working on it, but I had the idea of linking the elliptic equations to parabolic equations, and I approached it that way. Ultimately, I got breakthroughs so that I could, I could prove it, and I could prove corresponding theorems about the parabolic equations as well. And, in the process of that, I used some inequalities and in things. Uh-huh. And one inequality that I used there later became called the Nash inequality. But this whole project, as far as the elliptic equations was concerned, were concerned, Degiorgi uh, beat me to the, to the goalposts on the elliptic equations. It was Ennio
0: Degiorgi you just said the phrase, right, that reminds uh, uh, us of, of a competition in a sense, right? And no. you even said once that uh, this might have been the reason why n- neither of you got the Fields Medal in
1: 1958, right? Well, it's, uh, one thinks of that, of course, I, th- I think it would have been difficult anyway. It's sort of uh, uh, one might not be uh, quickly enough appreciated Actually, see, I was only publishing in 58, but it have to be 62, maybe. Because I think I've read somewhere that,
0: uh, well, some of the spilled beans, so to speak, that in 1958, you lost the field medal f- just by one vote, and then well, it went to René
1: Thom instead. You, you, well, you that, heard this, too? That could have been for the real algebra, the oh, for embedding the, for problem the other for Riemannian manifolds. Uh-huh. I, that was a good work that I that had come out in '56. So
0: actually, so just to recapitulate, so to speak, you had a thesis uh, uh, on game theory that got you the Nobel Prize. Uh, you had this work on algebraic geometry that almost got you
1: the Fields Medal. Then you well, you no, had this, I, this, this I, work. I don't. I don't think the. I don't think the algebraic geometry. It, it was good, and it later became appreciated. More, but I don't think it would have been appreciated enough at that time. At the time. But, it, but in it's, any case- there's a lot of time and- uh,
0: But is it a fact though that you, you also heard this story that you lost the Fields Medal by, by just one vote?
1: I didn't hear it. huh because I
0: read it somewhere. And then it's, it must be true, right? I because don't know. somewhere, right? <laughs> But in any case, uh, this was the end of the 50s, right? And you said you could have gotten it instead in
1: 1962, right? In 1962, there would be the, the other work in partial differential equations could have been appreciated at at that time if Georgie hadn't done something that uh, was even earlier than mine and uh, uh, covered the elliptic case, at least. Uh-huh.
0: But in 1962, of course, you were already, uh, so to speak, uh, out of mathematics. I'd already right? sort of had a breakdown. Uh-huh. Then wh- why don't we see... Uh, possiamo vedere uh, la seconda scena dal film, another scene from the movie which relates to this period.
3: Arrives. Roommate. Oh, oh God, no. Uh, did you know that having a hangover is uh is not having enough water in your body to run your Krebs cycles. Which is exactly what happens to you when you're dying of thirst. So dying of thirst would probably feel pretty much. Like the hanger that finally bloody kills you. <laughs> John Nash. Oh. Charles Herman. Pleased to meet you. Almost human again? Officer, I saw the driver who hit me. His name was Johnny Walker. Well, I got in last night in time for English department cocktails. Cock was mine. The tail belonged to a particularly lovely young thing with a passion for... D.H. Lawrence. You're not easily distracted, are you? I'm here to work. Why, oh, you Brian right, I see. Crikey. Is my roommate a dick? Hmm? Listen, if we can't break the ice, how about we drown it?
0: Oh. I've seen you smiling and I see you smiling now, so, uh, why? Well,
1: that's the imaginary roommate. And there, you know, the interesting connection that Jennifer Connolly uh, got the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And that was Paul Bettany, who's uh, been a successful actor. But Jennifer Connelly and Paul Bettany are married subsequently. Uh huh.
0: After the movie, that is, they met on the stage.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: That's very interesting. You see this scene and you think uh, about their marriage, but nothing else.
1: Well, uh, I just—that's something that's quite in, that's independent of the scene, really. Right. Of course, there's another aspect of that scene. Did you notice the music? Yeah. That's—I think the music is of, of an ancient. Composed Hildegard von Bingen, uh-huh. an early early German, of, of the prioress of a, of, a, of a convent, who composed music. And w- why is this uh, strange or? Well, uh, they, I liked ancient music. Oh, you liked ancient, ancient and music. And so this is consistent with my musical taste. Uh-huh. Did you so, suggest uh, this music to the? Uh, no, so it was no. just by chance. Well, they are—they're they're trying to do what they can, you know, to—to to in their artistic work. So one could say that the only real thing in the scene is the music,
0: because you like this music,
1: right? Well, the—the uh, the rest, they, I mean, they're—they're they're trying to introduce a delusional concept, right. and they go into much more. They have other other people that are—I forget the name of this character, but someone comes up and. Uh-huh. and but uh, you never had visionary delusions, right? That is the thing. That that is relatively rare uh-huh. in, uh, uh, oh, in psychotic certain there types is, uh... of. I guess there are types of, of psychotic states that is more common, but the type that they diagnosed me as schizophrenic, schizophrenia. and in that, for simple schizophrenia or the type of schizophrenia, it's relatively rare. To have the, the visual. Visual. Yeah. And so you had auditory delusions. I didn't have them initially, but after a few years, I began to have that. So what were the symptoms at the very beginning, if there was no delusion? Well, there were delusion, But you see, you don't have to have delusion through something you see uh-huh. or through or something to hear. you see here. Uh-huh. It could be something you think.
0: Oh, oh, oh. So you had the, the delusionary thinking at the time
1: yes like for for example well if you uh well it's sort of a a hyperbole but you could imagine a person who who should be a democrat but thinks that uh, as a republican or should be a republican who thinks as a democrat Uh, how would you know if you i mean how would you detect that this
0: is a delusion
1: well, This, this would be is, a
0: very effective political attitude, right? If somebody thinks differently, say, oh, you're a schizophrenic, right?
1: Well, it's, it's you, like, really
0: th- you really uh, think you're, uh, for example, in Italy, right? If you vote for Berlusconi, one can say, oh, you're a schizophrenic, right? You really are a communist,
1: right? <laughs> 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 well, they have a big election in France now. There's, I think, Sarkozy versus Royal. Uh huh. And there's uh, quite a difference between the size of thing.
0: And uh, we once discussed uh, the, uh, the subject of the relationship between mathematics in general and uh, uh, delusionary thinking or even madness, and I remember you told me that you don't believe there is any connection. Uh, you still think so? Um,
1: well, I haven't noticed a connection, and mathematicians but of course, they, it is part of their business and the work to, to think logically and rationally. Just like a chess player, like Spassky can't uh, play good chess if he's going to make mistakes in the steps of the game. So if a mathematician makes mistakes in the steps of working out a proof, there is no proof.
0: But you told me that instead you think that logicians could be mad.
1: That's that's the paradoxical thing, and I'm right. not the only one who observed it. Since uh, the the other one is uh, Giancarlo Rota, Rota, right? Put it in the book. Uh-huh. And uh, mathematical logic—it seems paradoxical. There's some some uh, ec- oddly behaving characters. You know that I am a logician, right? You, you are yes. aware of this. Yes, well, I mean, it's not, a, <laughs> it's not uh, 90%, it's, I mean, 30% would be a lot. Uh-huh. And why do you think there is a connection
0: between logic and, uh, and, uh, and madness?
1: Well, the, the paradox could be that it is really difficult to, to th- to th- there's some, int- some intrinsic difficulty in the in logic and thinking. Of, it's not a, a closed book. People are still working
0: on. But <laughs> you think that the, the, the logical thought is too abstract, in a sense, and it detaches you from the real world.
1: Well, in a sense, uh, it 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 must be introspective, whereas. Uh, Just thinking mathematics, uh, a person does not need to be so introspective. You can look at something that's different from himself. And logic, the logician must look at the logician, in a sense. And you have some examples,
0: actually, when you gave uh, your speech at the Madrid
1: uh, uh, Convention
0: on Psychiatry. It's easy
1: to think of examples. For example? Well, for example, Georg Cantor uh-huh he didn't have a completely stable mind throughout his life and, and then more, of course the philosopher friedrich nietzsche well he was not exactly he was not, not a logician, logician, right right i don't know was he entirely apart from logic or not or, uh, but you you met some logicians that you think
0: uh, were, so to speak, on the verge. I had a
1: big argument with Harold Kuhn about whether one should mention a certain professor at all. Um, and this professor was was never insane or or never over the border in some ways, but he behaved very strangely. I missed. I missed who this was. Well, I'm not naming him. Oh,
0: okay, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a professor in Princeton,
1: anyway. Well, I, I won't say where he was. Ah, okay. But he he was known to behave quite uh, quite Ugly. oddly, and and he had one characteristic that mental patients develop often. Like what? Uh, of Audibly talking to himself.
0: Talking to himself, okay. Yes,
1: yeah. while walking around. Uh huh.
0: And for example, Goethe also is supposed to have been quite strange, right?
1: Yes, well, Gödel is an example one could talk about because he's like a, a, a death from insanity. Is, uh, uh, when there's insanity, people often kill themselves one way, uh-huh. or they may do it one way or another, and in Gadda's case, you could say that he he killed himself by a mad starvation, the, the fear so of So he let food. himself
0: die, so to speak.
1: Well, the starvation, yes. you know, the anorexia, and there are these cases, the young girls who think they're not thin enough, and the stop eating entirely, it, it, it but, can lead to death. But
0: in his case, apparently, this was uh, not so much during his lifetime, but in the last period of his life, when he lost late. his wife, when he was, so to speak,
1: unbalanced by himself, right? So to speak. It was very late I'm, I'm not sure he didn't, I think his, his wife had not died, but she had been sick for a while and then she ultimately died after him or not. I'm not sure. I'm not, not sure. She died a few years earlier, right? or at least she was recovered. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not a complete expert, but, huh? I, but he, he had many eccentricities, of course, also.
0: But you quoted chess before, just uh, in passing. Uh, isn't there a relationship there too? Because chess is also very logical in a sense. And there are characters like Fisher, for example. But Spaska this morning named the yeah, few there other ones. Some right?
1: talk about Fisher recently get, right. Got some inside details. Uh-huh. Yes, he's certainly a character the extreme. It doesn't seem rational. Uh-huh. But still he can play rationally. Well he doesn't really play play very well after this type of this. He, I mean, he, he was world champion for a short time and then he didn't agree with the rules about Karpov right. and so he just Karpov resigned, became but, champion by default. Right.
0: But in this case, at least, you know, there seemed to be a balance. I mean, he behaved very irrationally, but then he could play irrationally. So uh, don't you think that a mathematician, for example, it was not your case, apparently. I mean, you had this delusionary thinking, as you said, but then you couldn't go on doing mathematics, right?
1: Well, uh, in my earlier years after mental disturbance, there were times of in and out. I would be in these hospitals, and they would—I uh, would be sort of forced into conformity. Uh-huh. And I was even—it's even like there was—I was in a, a thought correction camp, so that my my th- thinking, which was it was irrational, but it was also disapproved of. Uh-huh. By society, and uh, so I would come back and I would be ready to work but i, I didn 't have a, a particularly good position of employment for working. I, I could work, and I did some good research at times like this, and it was in those times that the Nash blow up that you mentioned
0: oh, so this was done already after you got ill
1: so to yes speak. After, and, and, and during the other recess work
0: of your of your uh,
1: Another illness. work, another area of algebraic geometry, and, well, and, and something else uh, about uh, uh, embedding problems. Uh, uh, but this was in the
0: 60s, mostly, right?
1: This is in the 60s. Could you
0: still work in the 70s and 80s?
1: In the 70s, I was not working. At all? Uh-huh. No, but I, I was adjusting mainly, like in the 80s. In the 80s, you could say I was working on hobby-type work. Like what? Well, always mathematics. Working though? with numbers and programs, learning about computers, developing some specific programs and developing ideas. I, I made transition without having employment. I could do some. I could still do some research work. And could you say that, for example,
0: mathematics uh, at some points uh, was actually a help uh, with your illness,
1: or? Well, I- I- if a person has um, a mental problem, is is off the normal, tra- any anything that's like that occupational therapy on, right. may be good. Uh-huh. If a person does something, they, uh, if it involves the cognitive functions, one type of of psychotherapy that's been uh, introduced more recently is called cognitive therapy. Uh-huh. Instead of the standard drugs, you can have some work in it's not psychoanalysis, but it involves an interaction. A therapist can be interacting with a patient. It might be good. You said that your problems were mostly were well, at least
0: you know at some point or at some stage you had this uh, auditory. Uh, delusions, right? How would you compare them to uh, delusions that have been recorded uh, in history? For example, Socrates, at least the Socrates that Plato describes, he claims it very often that uh, I did, didn't do certain things because I heard a voice that told me not to do it. Uh, uh, well.
1: What, it's it's possible
0: they called it a diamond at the time
1: the bible is is full of stories where there is a dream in which someone receives the the message of god that so and so is but dreams
0: are a different thing aren't they i mean one thing is to dream uh, and another thing is to hear
1: voices isn't it a dream is not considered so hallucinatory, but of course, if you believe in the dream, maybe it is hallucinatory. Ah, it could be the same effect, right? If God doesn't really exist, and you think you hear the voice of God telling you to do something, then what's your state?
0: So what do you think? I mean, people that claim uh, historically to have heard voices, you think that today they would be classified as schizophrenic, simply?
1: It would be a dangerous thing to say. Socrates would maybe should be advised to be careful <laughs> <laughs> what he was saying.
0: And some prophets too, for example, you right? can
1: have, and You can imagine if you get the thought, if you get the thought, but if you say you hear the voice, it's maybe not good. Right. And of course, uh, then
0: after this, uh, you had a recess and then you recovered. Uh, can, can you see any reason for this recovery, or it was just sheer luck? In other words, uh, you think you did something that helped you uh, in this recovery, or it just happened? So well, I
1: was, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking uh, uh, more or less progressively, and sort of really applying. Mind intellectually and gradually being less distracted by things that were not well founded I, 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 I realized that some of my my uh, delusional well what I could recognize ultimately as delusional, thinking had a political orientation, and I could develop a clit- critical attitude towards that that this, this politics is really not good, and you want. Should not think so much about politics if one is not politically important, or one cannot know that one is politically important. <laughs> you said uh,
0: that you were less distracted, so that makes one think that, uh, in a sense, you still heard voices, but you didn't pay attention to them, or the voices stopped at a certain time. There
1: was a process of of, of fading fading out, like. Aha. Uh-huh. So you don't hear them anymore? Or is it just that you don't want to hear them? No, I don't hear them. Uh uh
0: And then of course, uh, the last uh, period of your life is the one that uh, after uh, the Nobel Prize gave you fame and
1: uh, notoriety. uh, The Nobel Prize made me recognize and put me in the position where there was uh, really reason to work And so I've returned to some problems in game theory. Uh Plus, I also still have interest in cosmology and equations for space time. Uh I had developed an idea there before the Nobel Prize that I've continued to study a little. Lately, there's something about it that seems very interesting because, well, it could be that the so-called Einstein, uh, uh, Maxwell-Einstein equations were wrong. Are and, uh, but that is for, Einstein for an was
0: electromagnetism one, and magnetism and uh, gravitation together. Yes,
1: Einstein was working for something, if you s- analyze it, his unified field theory would have conflicted with the Einstein-Maxwell equations, uh-huh, uh-huh. but he never produced something that was accepted. Uh-huh. In, in those attempts. So this
0: is one of your recent interests, in other words. So there's still cosmology. No,
1: I had this, it develops right. from before the, before the Nobel Prize in 1994. And you didn't work on this afterwards? Well, I've had a continuing, continuing interest since work. that uh-huh. time, but uh-huh. I don't put a lot of time on it. Uh-huh. I don't, i don't not committing myself to, everything. And you still work on game theory, for example? Yes, and I'm, I consider myself now an expert on money. On money? <laughs> Aha! In what sense? Well, I have a theme of ideal money, and, uh, and then I have variations on that. Aha,
0: uh-huh. but before we continue, let's see the last uh, bit uh, from the movie. Possiamo vedere il terzo segmento del film because this is connected to the uh, Nobel uh, Prize Ceremony.
1: It's not fair the- no, no, not fair.
2: I've always believed in numbers, in the equations and logics that lead to reason. But after a lifetime of such pursuits, I ask, what truly is logic? Who decides reason? My quest has taken me through the physical, the metaphysical, the delusional, and back i made the most important discovery of my career. The most important discovery of my life. It is only in the mysterious equations of love that any logical reasons can be found. I'm only here tonight because of you. You are the reason I am. You are all my reasons.
0: That was a very unlikely scene, right?
1: As a movie scene, it's been very popular. And I get letters of people that are influenced by that. But, of course, it's not what they do Stockholm. It's not- why,
0: why don't we see exactly what they did? Perché non vediamo uh, di nuovo il pezzo che uh, è stato trasmesso uh, quando il professore è entrato? e che la scena vera e ci fa vedere quanta differenza ci sia fra la realtà e la finzione invece We're trying to see what, uh, what really happened instead in
4: Stockholm. John Hasson, han börden han också och uh, en, en av dem som tvingades fly västerut uh, på 50-talet han är 74 år nu och han har varit professor vid universitetet i Berkeley i Kalifornien. Det är 45 år sedan den då geniförklarade John Nash, matematiker, formulerade sin spelteori. Sen dröjde det inte länge för han drabbades av svår schizofreni och var borta från forskarvärlden i 30 år och först nu så har han sjukdom släppt. Och det är även kan man säga, något av ett mirakel att han kan stå här och ta emot med idag. han är 66 år. Och som första tysk får nu Reinhard Zelten från Bonn ta emot årets ekonomipris. I alla fall en tredjedel av det. Han och Harzani har arbetat ihop flera år och dessutom gett ut en bok tillsammans. Och och med det har alla pristagare fått sitt. Sitt diplom, sin medalj och pengarna får de faktiskt först på måndag. No, 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 not
1: for her, her son Yee has died, but uh, Zelton is uh, strong. right. So,
0: if we have to believe the rest of the movie uh, just by seeing. Uh, I mean, how much, you know, it reflects reality, then uh, it would be very difficult to believe any word of it, right? Uh, How did the Nobel Prize uh, change your life?
1: Well, uh, I don't like, wouldn't like to go into details, but it just is very fundamental for me. I think for many persons, uh, Nobel laureates probably has made much less of a change. I don't know about, now Alferov might have been considerably affected, but it depends on of, because where- Because of the was,
0: Russian situation, you mean?
1: Well, Good. he, if he hadn't gotten the prize, maybe he might have been in, in another place. Uh-huh. I don't know what would have to be. I mean, you know, never, but, uh, some, some persons are so well recognized, so well established. Already before the price. Yes. Right? And uh, that wouldn't change much. Yeah, they, they, may be, they may be expecting it. And, uh, and when it comes, uh, they're ready, but it doesn't necessarily affect their
0: lives. Uh-huh. And this is to say that instead, in your case, it was very different.
1: Yeah, well, I was not well-established, and so, uh, <laughs> So
0: at the time, you didn't have a job, right? Yes. I think, when
1: you got the Nobel
0: Prize? That's right. Uh-huh. So now you do have, well, at least, you know, you have the office
1: in Princeton, right? And uh, but you retire now. Well, I'm not teaching. Uh, uh-huh. You don't teach. So I have a job, but I'm doing research. I, I don't consider it as trivial or inconsequential. Uh-huh. And
0: if you had a second chance, so to speak, uh, like this game, you know, that is played sometimes, Second Life, what would you choose? Would you choose the Fields Medal or the Nobel Prize? Are you satisfied having gotten the Nobel Prize at the end uh, uh,
1: of your career? See, Atiyah has been here. Atiyah uh, has a Fields Medal, but not just a Fields (laughs) Medal. So, he has also an Abel Prize. Uh So he got the Fields Medal and the Abel Prize. Scandinavian thing. Right. So
0: in other words, this is a uh, contorted way of saying that you would have liked both, in a sense.
1: Well, the more the better.
0: (laughs) Okay, too bad we don't have a second chance in life, but at least you did get the Nobel Prize. I think that uh, we more or less uh, review, uh, reviewed your uh, interest in at times time sad, but also at times uh, happy life. So we thank you so much for uh, having been with us, and uh, we hope to see you again sometime soon.
1: Thank you. hope I have. Okay. Thank you. off the stage.